Hello and welcome to the Secure Chat Podcast, presented by Archon. This is a whole new security podcast geared towards you, our trusted clients. Each episode, our security experts will explore pressing security news, from the latest malware threat to user errors and top risk management solutions. Tune in each month to learn more about data breaches, what they mean for your business, and how you can optimize your security strategy. I want security. Welcome back to the fifth episode of the Secure Chat Podcast. This is part two of our CPX special. I'm joined here with Sean and Danny. Uh, Danny got to go down to New Orleans to do these interviews. Uh, in this go, she interviewed Tim from Checkpoint. Um, he went over incident response plans and how you can be proactive in uh, protecting your company. Uh, Danny, do you want to talk a little bit about you know what you learned and what you guys talked about? Hey guys, um, it's nice to be on the podcast again feeling like one of the hosts, so I'm feeling kind of special. Always um, love having you. Thanks. For those who don't know me, my name is Danny, and I'm actually one of the producers for the podcast. Um, so yeah, I went down to New Orleans for CPX and interviewed Tim Otis, who is the global operations team lead for the incident response team with Checkpoint. And it was actually a lot of fun talking to him. He was very informative, um, explained things to me. I'm not very technical, so he explained it in a simple way for anyone to understand how important it is to uh, be proactive when... Um, dealing with attacks with your company. So yeah, it was a it was a great time. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Yeah, I'd imagine that someone like Tim kind of has like a high stress job. So did he seem like he was kind of stressed out or like, you know, just describe kind of who he was? He did not seem stressed out at all. He was very laid back, very chill, very talkative, very nice, outgoing, friendly, just, you know. So the opposite of me, essentially, right? <laughs> yes, it's exactly what I'm saying. Alrighty, well, let's listen to it. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on our fifth episode of the Secure Chat Podcast. My name is Danny, and I am the producer of the Secure Chat Podcast. I'm hosting this episode from the Cybersecurity Summit and Expo in New Orleans, which is hosted by our Checkpoint partners. I'm joined today with Tim Otis, who is part of the incident response team of Checkpoint. I want to spend some time this episode talking about security incidents, reactive and proactive services, and how to enhance your internal capabilities. Tim, before we start, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and how long you've been with Checkpoint? Yeah, I've been at Checkpoint 13 years. Before that, I worked at a startup company that Checkpoint acquired, so I've kind of worked with some of the same people for since Y2K. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, is this your first time attending CPX 360? No, this is my sixth or seventh oh, wow. CPX, yeah. So so you have some experience under your belt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how, how do you like um, attending CPX? It's awesome for our team to meet new people right. uh, and meet new contacts and spread the kind of spread the gospel of our mission and our service. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's dive into incident response. What is it and how does it work? So incident response in general is with cybersecurity, the real thing that people have to do every day is vigilance. You really have to. When you find alerts and see attacks in the network, it's important to chase them down, remediate them, and, and fix the problem right away. So incident response helps do that, uh, actuate the remediation of threats, contain threats, and, and shut it down. We typically, you know, our, our, our day-to-day, we help customers who are being hacked, breached, etc. They call us, we help them identify infected machines in their network, compromised systems, and take them offline and rebuild them. What are the biggest cybersecurity threats for 2020? Um, and what's being done to improve cyber defenses? 
The two biggest things that we dealt with in the last three years, not only 2020, are wire, tra wire fraud transfer that happens because of business email compromises. BEC is the, the industry term. Threat actors will compromise people's email, send fraudulent bank payment information, and get, get fraudulent wire transfers. And typically when that happens, once the money's transferred, it's really, really hard, if not sometimes impossible, to get that money back. Basically, wow. the money's gone. The second biggest thing we deal with is large-scale ransomware attacks. You heard City of New Orleans in the news, City of Atlanta in the news, all these towns, municipalities, schools, getting ransomware takes their network offline. It's happening at a massive scale right now. So those are the two biggest threats we're dealing with every day. Can you talk a little bit more about Checkpoint's incident response team? Um, what services do you provide and how do you investigate and contain those attacks? Yeah, so we are a global team. We have people in Australia, Hong Kong, Israel, Europe, North America, and um, we answer the hotline call 24-7, 365, holidays, Christmas, it doesn't matter, we'll answer the call. We help identify and contain the threats and um, remediate them. Um, what's the difference between a reactive response plan and a proactive plan? Yeah, reactive is typically most of the work we do. Somebody, some, somebody gets hacked and they need help with it, so they call us. Proactive, though, is much better. If you can get ahead of these threats and with some proactive planning, it, 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 it helps when it does happen to remediate it quicker. Um, things we do proactively is help people with incident response plans. When you're under attack, it's really, really hard to think, what was I supposed to do? What's the order of things I have to do them? When you have a list, like a punch list of one, two, three, four, five, it, it, it helps clear the fog. Just follow this list and everything will be okay. So making a proactive incident response plan is very key. Um, also exercises, tabletop drills and scenarios help people exercise their plans if they have a plan. Uh, we, do, we do things with our customers like all the, at, at executive, executive and board level, all the way down to really low level technical teams, scenarios where we lay out an attack scenario, have them walk through it, and they'll, they'll take their plan and, and go through it and we'll, we'll, we'll put a scenario on the board and they'll, they'll go through and, and see what they have to do. Or maybe we'll do a live lab with a live attack and they'll, they'll figure out what forensics pieces they need to collect or what they have to do. So the tabletop scenarios, the drills, really help practice and build that muscle memory so that you know what to do when it happens. Right. That's great that you guys do that um, proactive plan. Mm -hmm. And do you see that since you've been doing those scenarios that people are actually realizing an attack before it happens and it's, it's actually like working for everyone? Yeah. Um, our proactive customers stay proactive customers. It, 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 it's not yet have we had one that falls into the reactive phase. So that, that building muscle memory, those planning, all that planning it really pays off and helps, helps that, that vigilance I first talked about, you know, help spread that throughout the organization and make sure people are on the same page and pushing towards the same goals and, and hyper vigilant around cyber threats. Um, so Tim, how do most of the, uh, these attacks happen? 
all of the almost all of these attacks happen via phishing in one of two ways or actually one of many ways but with the business email compromise attacks that I mentioned it typically starts with a phishing email it's very interesting to see how the threat actors leverage this phishing and can ladder up into the environment for example if a threat actor fishes somebody who works a frontline support desk they can compromise that person's machine or email account use their email address to send more phishing within the organization then it comes from a person they kind of trust and a company employee and like if that person works three cubes down from me, I know them, I saw them walk into the building this morning at the coffee machine, et cetera, I might, click, I might be more prone to click that link or open that attachment. And from there, we've seen people pivot and pivot and pivot until they reach somebody in accounts payable or the CFO of a company. And that's when they, they, they keep moving and moving and that's when they drop the new bank routing information into the into even existing email threads with partners and et cetera who have invoices who may say, Ye, please please pay this invoice again or we didn't get the last one, please pay it again. But it, at that point, the invoice has alternate and fraudulent bank routing information. Um, the other attack as well, the other large scales attacks we see, the ransomware attacks, are typically happening via phishing as well. Um, um, via a malware infection that would come in a fish Users clicked it. The threat actor can control that machine. They can then determine if it's like a home user's machine that's not very valuable, or if it's a corporate machine joined to a domain and has is connected to a lot of other machines. That's way more valuable. They leverage that machine and move laterally within the network until they can identify all the valuable assets in the environment and then move their ransomware onto things that are critical for business operations of that customer. With a lot of the cities, we see them go after their backups first, because if you destroy the backups, they can't get back. And then after backups, go to systems that might control traffic lights or, or other systems that are just vital to have online. Um, and that's typically comes from phishing and malware. What is the best strategy um, or plan that a company can take to prevent being attacked with phishing? So um, email protections are vital. There are a number of companies, including Checkpoint, that have email protections. And uh, typically, um, there, there are built-in protections, especially if you're using cloud services like Microsoft Office 365. They have built-in protections that are uh, pretty good relatively good uh, however Microsoft trusts Microsoft and some of the cloud services that Microsoft's offer, offering are being leveraged for those phishing attacks so to have another layer on top of the standard Microsoft security is very important inspecting links uh, detonating or sandboxing attachments as they come in uh, so if an attachment comes in Put it in a virtual machine and execute it and to see what happens if it if it does malicious stuff in there uh, so those kind of email protections can help reputational searches on urls that are arriving to know if that if the reputation of the url has if it's got a bad reputation let's just delete that and not send it through 
those kind of things. Do you have any security advice or software recommendations for businesses or individuals going into 2020? The biggest advice that I could give from my view is keep your data and your logs. We, we, we work a lot of cases where there's not enough data retained to tell the story. So if an attack happens and they don't have adequate logging or it doesn't go back in time long enough, we can't figure things out. We can't tell how the attack happened, which telling how the attack happened is very key to close the holes that the attackers come in. So, you know, the, the biggest thing I could say is log retention. Keep the logs. And no matter what security products you have, whether they're Checkpoint or whatever else, just keep more logs. Uh, everyone in the industry needs to keep more logs. Just, just to say, uh, I will say that uh, it's really, really important for people to have an incident response plan. It's very, very important. It's, uh, especially in today's day and age, knowing if a breach happens or an attack happens and your services are offline, who in, for example, legal do I have to talk to in my enterprise to get, get that going? Who in public relations should I notify to put a blog post on our website? You know, having all those names and numbers on one sheet of paper when things are going bad is very vital. Having that plan is crucial. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for that's great advice. Um, thank you so much, Tim, for joining us this month as we discussed incident response services and how to enhance your capabilities with proactive strategies. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our monthly podcast for more security tips and tricks. Yeah, that was a great interview by Tim, and uh, we really appreciate him taking the time to sit down with Natalie and Danny and kind of uh, share his insight with what his job is and how he protects people and companies. Um, Sean, what were your main takeaways from that interview? One of the main takeaways I took from Tim's interview was how he stressed how important it was to have an instant response plan in place. Uh, he was talking about how having a plan keeps people from being stressed out, from sort of running all over, sort of controlling that chaos. And I think that one thing that Corey and I have seen on the front lines is that in such a chaotic situation, such as someone with a data breach or a ransomware attack, the fact that having a good incident response plan in place, what that does is it really does keep everything at bay. Uh, just a little while ago, uh, maybe a couple months ago, Corey and I were I guess not lucky, but we were on the, the front lines for one of the responses. And it was amazing that with the incident response plan that Archon has in place, uh, it was really just a very coordinated attack on the attack of our client. Um, you know, a special shout out to our, our one manager, Anthony Galvin. Uh, he put this in place. He's just like a real professional and expert in this. Uh, he saw the attack come in. From there, it was pulling up the incident response plan and just delegating work to specific groups. So having the higher level guys look into the deeper root issues, um, even getting the tier one guys involved, looking through Rapid7 logs, checking servers, checking account privileges. Uh, it was really just interesting just to be a part of and see how well the situation was controlled and remedied uh, just by the fact that we have one document in place that everyone can just stay working through. Uh, it's just openly shared. So we have 25 people actively editing one document so you can see in real time who's doing what. And it really does control the situation. Yeah, so uh, an incident response plan sometimes seems really high level, but a good incident response plan is as low as just keeping everybody's phone numbers and names on one piece of paper so you know who to contact when 
uh, things go sideways. This allows the process to be uh, sped up and you're able to cut, you're able to get rid of the problem uh, before it spreads too much. Uh, during the last incident we had, my role in it was going to servers that didn't show as unaffected, but going through all the servers and making sure nothing was affected on the server. Um, doing something as simple as that uh, just helps out the whole team because then you know or then you know how to pinpoint exactly what you need to fix. Um, there's no loose ends when you have somebody going around to other servers like that. Well, I think it's important too just to point out the fact that items such as calling the client or checking out other servers in the environment and just poking around and just doing quick checks, you don't want your high-level resources doing items like that that are you know, not monotonous, they're very important. Every single step on an incident response is there for a reason. But if you have someone who's able to just log in and check the event viewer and check to see what users are logged in, they can do that without being someone who has 15 years of instant response experience. I think that's what's important with the, any incident response plan is making sure that getting everybody involved so you're not just burning out the same three people to do every single task on that list and making sure everybody's involved in order to be proactive for the next attack. Yeah, I really appreciate you making me feel important. It feels good. <laughs> always, always. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Tim mentioned the difference between proactive and reactive when it comes to incident response plans. Sean, do you kind of want to go into the difference between proactive and reactive? So from the general overview of a proactive response is you are making sure that you have aspects in place in order to prevent any and all attacks. And I guess what I want to stress is that in the most perfect environment, there's still always going to be the chance that you're attacked. So being proactive is just making sure you have as many measures in place. So in the event that something does eventually happen to your environment, that it cuts down on the time. So that way, instead of having three days of an outage, you have 30 minutes of downtime because you were proactively prepared to react to that specific case. Um, I guess an example of a reactive environment would just be hey, you know, client emails you saying, yeah, we're infected, we got hacked, like what do we do? And from there, you're trying to figure out what are my first steps? What do I do? Who do I call? What do I check? What am I even looking for? And just those 10 minutes of trying to get your mind straight and wrapped around the problem, that's reacting and that's 10 minutes where that infection is just out in the open and who knows what it's doing. Yeah, you make a lot of good points there. Is there any other high level things that you wanna mention? Not that I can think of. I think that just the general argument, or I guess not really an argument, just talking about a proactive versus a reactive, we can spend multiple podcast episodes talking about this. One thing I did want to pivot into is talking about how Tim was touching on having different practices in place and having examples and run books and making sure people were used to different attack vectors and how to remedy them so that way it wasn't a shock when they saw that. And what really like sort of like pulled me in on that was that we've seen that at our level. I mean, we were thrown into analyzing rapid seven logs right away when we started. And I think it's important because at the ground level then for different stuff like, you know, someone's first time login, you know, it's a rapid seven alert that we get because we get hundreds a day. Being able to look at a log and say, okay, here's the in-depth JavaScript version of it. Here's where the username is. This is the IP address. This is the machine that they logged into. Getting used to reading those at a level where, okay, this is not important. This is just a basic 
run through a typical log that comes in. Then when it's go time for stuff that happens, you can have even new people being proactive on that team where they can start reading through logs saying, okay, let's search through logs for this specific user login. And where do they log into? What machines? What IP address? And that's, I think, what Tim is trying to like do almost like a, a overhead on is that no matter what your skill set is or what level you are on the team, you're on the team. So you need to be able to give and take on those different responses. Yeah, you make a lot of good points. And in Tim's interview, he mentioned that uh, phishing is a very big uh, way to get into a company right now. And, and even staying proactive isn't just with the IT employees. Um, it goes into you know people in marketing, people in accounting. Um, understanding what a phishing email is uh, because a lot of these attacks don't even happen if uh, users are able to identify what an invalid email is coming in. Um, so to keep your company safe, it truly is a whole company effort to keep everything locked down. Yeah, exactly. And I think we can tie that into just the instant response that we go through. It's, you know, you can't have the same three people doing the heavy lifting. It's everybody's responsibility to try and pitch in where they can. Um, you know, obviously you're not going to expect every single person in the company to be able to analyze email headers, but just having knowledge in order to look at an email and say, okay, well, the name is saying it's from Joe Smith, but the email address is some funky, you know, long hashed out email that doesn't make sense. And just even that is enough where they just click delete, they email IT support, say, hey, let's just blacklist this email address. I got a phishing um, email. All that is helping into being proactive to just prevent anybody else from getting an email like that. Yeah, really to keep a company safe, it's top to bottom, everybody being knowledgeable to some degree of how a company can try uh, to hack into you or how a company can try to spread you know, ransomware on servers and whatnot. Um, everybody plays a role in keeping a company safe. Yeah, I agree. And I know, you know, I can't speak on your behalf, Corey, but I know I'd much rather be putting in a blacklist email entry than going through and running through the instant response on a daily basis. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good high level wrap up of just, you know, incident response plans and how you can be proactive versus reactive. Um, at the, we want to thank uh, Tim for joining the podcast and uh, giving up his time to kind of inform us of what he goes through and what in the knowledge that he has when it comes to incident response. Um, at the beginning of the interview, he talked about wire fraud, um, and that's something that we'll be touching on or talking about next week uh, with our CISO, Chris Hankey, and what he's seen in the past with wire fraud, uh, what we're going to see in the future, and just why it's so prevalent today. Um, I want to thank Sean and Danny for being on the podcast, as always, and providing good content. Thanks, Corey, as well, for facilitating all of this. And if you guys liked what you heard, uh, please subscribe to our Secure Chat podcast for more tips and tricks. Thank you.